So I have this saying that where there's conviction, there's capacity. Don't tell me that there's not time to work on, develop, to cultivate, and be very consistent and relevant in doing work that is aligned to your purpose and passion. Welcome to the Pemso Effect Podcast. Host Steve Shrout provides tips for anyone challenged with living a balanced lifestyle in today's world. He created the Pemso Effect concept while working as a senior media executive to help him overcome his challenges with balancing career, family, and his personal life. On each episode, Steve will share from his personal journey and interview leading experts about their research and their life experiences. He will present concepts and strategies to help you discover your best self, enhance your performance, and develop your personal brand. Here's Steve with today's edition of the Pemso Effect. Hey, welcome to today's episode of the Pemso Effect podcast. I am really honored that you would take time out of your busy day to spend it here with me. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I want to let you know that the word PEMSO is actually an acronym that stands for Physical, Emotional, Mental, Spiritual, and Occupational Growth. It's the idea that when leaders take better care of themselves, they can take better care of those around them. Today's episode is going to be rather unique. In fact, it is the first episode where we interview high-performing executives or leaders as we talk all things PEMSO. And today, I am really excited to have as our guest, Victoria Peltier. She is the Vice President of IBM's North American Talent and Transformation Practice. She is a senior executive with over two decades of progressive experience in strategy, operations, growth initiatives, and business and talent development. Victoria is a visionary leader with a passion for innovation, creativity, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. In fact, Victoria has won both the 2020 Mentor of the Year Award from Women in Communications and Technology and the 2019 HSBC Diversity and Inclusion in Innovation Award. And in her spare time, she serves as a board member for several organizations. She is also a published author, regular contributor to Forbes, and a member of the Forbes Human Resource Council. She is an in-demand public speaker and appears regularly on national radio and television programs. She's an inspiring professional with impeccable credentials. Victoria is a trusted voice among peers and emerging executives, and I feel privileged that I can call her a colleague and a friend. Victoria, I want to welcome you to today's episode of The Pemso Effect. Thanks so much for agreeing to participate with us today. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I'm excited to be here. You know, I was trying to think, you know, we, we've known each other for a while. We both kind of lived a little bit of the jet set lifestyle and even compared notes from time to time on tips and tricks and things that we did while traveling and uh, high performance expectations. So let, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But just to help our, you know, the people that are listening to the podcast get to know you, tell us a little bit about maybe your past and the things that shaped you to get to where you are today. How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> kidding, kidding. How much do you need? <laughs> yeah, we could, we could be here forever. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, um, from a career perspective, I am a lifelong corporate exec with a very entrepreneurial um, spirit, both being an entrepreneur within those companies and then also formally actually as an entrepreneur building and buying businesses. 
but it got its start way back. I became an executive. My first executive role was at age 24, just a few months after I gave birth to my first child, where I became the chief operating officer for a large right. privately held BPO organization. And that entered me into this crazy world of B2B outsourcing and you know, 24 seven um, kind of being on call. And it's just mm. progressed from there. You know, that's really a young age to get injected into the C-suite. Can you recall at that time, what were some of the things that were going on for you, like for learning about business development and yourself as a career? So I think, you know, I started working at a very early age, like at 11 it, professionally. Now I'm just talking about the babysitting, the neighbor's kids. And so I, I had gained some experience to that point. And, but I will tell you, I had to lean into my discomfort and the things that I knew I did well to build a bridge for that role. So mm. I had been working throughout university uh, and I started fairly young. So graduated at you know high school at 16. So I was in university working for a bank in their contact center. So I got to know how to you know, run large teams and operations and I was successful with that, but my customers were predominantly internal. Right. So Steve, when I made that shift to go be the COO, that was a stretch role for me. Mm. I was hired because of my expertise you know, in contact centers, in all facets of contact centers from the, you know, it's a, their dirty underbelly of the world now around, you know, telemarketing, but from sales experience, customer service, some technical support, uh, and predominantly in financial services. So I was sought out because of that, but making the shift to all of a sudden, not only lead the operational teams, pretty much all functional areas right. of that organization. So sales and marketing. So what I had to do was, um, I'm not a big fan of fake it till you make it, except when it comes to confidence. Uh, <laughs> so so I, le I leaned into that and I helped build the bridge, not only for myself, but as I was being recruited into that role around the skills and experience I'd gained over a multitude of different places within the banks, two banks mm. I'd worked for at that point, to how I could do that to sell to external clients. The elements of the operations included multiple things, you know, so not just the, the bums and seats, if you will, on the phone, but all the other areas that made it run. So I drew the parallel to the things that I knew uh, would help me be successful in that role. Right. And it was that that enabled me to be hired and then quite frankly, be successful in that role. Mm. You know, any executive high-performing leader can look back in their career and say, you know, it was the collision of opportunity and somebody who believed in you, right? You had high potential and somebody said, I think this person is going to go somewhere. And of course, now today, you know, with your role at IBM, I think you work with uh, talent management and emerging leaders and, and growth, you know, those kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about kind of what, what are you doing today? What, what's your current role all about? I am very fortunate that my day job actually very much aligns to the things I've been so incredibly passionate about. So I've been running businesses or large business units for the Fortune 500 for the last 20 years, talking about culture and leadership around diversity and inclusion. My role at IBM, funny, I get hit up all the time on LinkedIn for people looking for a job at <laughs> IBM because I lead what we call talent and transformation. Right. But it is the external, as you said, it's the client facing business um, unit that supports 
companies with everything related to their workforce, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be obviously IBM, HR technologies or technologies as a whole, but also looking at strategy around how do we think about, you know, the workforce of the future with the rapid acceleration of and, and digital transformation that's occurring. It could be purely around culture. I do lean in pretty heavily to an area I'm passionate about greatly and have been for, for most of the last two decades is around diversity, equity and inclusion. And then also actually run, I still run a very large outsourcing business. So companies that outsource a lot of the HR operations, some stuff that's not so sexy, like payroll um, and updating yeah, employee systems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But while they're very important, we all need to get paid. That's true. Um, that is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's fantastic. You know, one thing I do know about you, and I think we've even talked about it in the past, is that you are crazy passionate about self-care. I know that you like to work out and you have very strict regimen on how you do things. And I want to kind of go into that vein just for a few minutes, if you don't mind. But, um, you know, one of the things I like to uh, coach my leaders with is that if they take better care of themselves, they can take better care of the people around them. I do believe that there is a connection between how you can take care of yourself to perform well and your ability to perform as a leader. What are your thoughts about that? 100% agree with you. So I think coaching you're giving, you know, those that you're working with is bang on. Mm. You know, for for me, I'm extremely disciplined uh, around health and wellness. Most of my life, there's only been a very short period of my life where I think I put it to the wayside because of all the travel and a variety of things, but that was still a choice. And so for me, it's about discipline. I start my day by working out. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that. So <laughs> what like what's your typical morning look like? Yeah, so I I blocked my calendar, first of all, before 9am, uh, because I found people would just see an open spot and grab it. You know, mm. I used to work out at five right now, actually, during COVID, it means I don't, I'm not commuting anywhere except downstairs to the, you know, the gym. And uh, so now I don't have to get up quite as early, but I get up, I work out, I come back, I shower. If I have a meal that day or breakfast that morning, then I have that and then I'm ready to start. But that's my a little bit of sanity for me, you know, yeah. while I, and I, I weight train predominantly, although I'm also a hockey player and other activities. I used to do triathlons, but weight training is, is the thing I do six days a week wow. and I've got my headphones on and I start my day with, you know, the daily podcast and catch up on kind of the news and what's going on. And then I sometimes listen to audio box books or other podcasts or just great music. Mm -hmm. And that sort of sets the tone for me, you know, yeah. keeps me, you know, like I said, it's a little bit of sanity for me to, before I jump into the world of back to back to back conference yeah. calls. You know, you did spend a lot of time on the road. Did you have any tricks or quirky little things that you did when you're on the road to make sure that you, you stayed fit or stayed healthy or. I mentioned earlier that I had one period in my life or career where I let it get the best of me where I'm like, I'm so busy. I'm just going, 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 going. And I didn't take the time for my workout um, or eating in the, the health with the healthy habits. So that was only about one year. And that's when I said, no, I'm not doing it. So for me, mm. when we can travel, I am normally a road warrior. That means though, I will fly in the night before uh, somewhere so I can get up and I can maintain my routine and work out in the morning. Yeah. I also follow, you know, a healthy eating regimen over the last many years I've actually been keto, low carb. Right. And so, you know, there's been discipline around uh, if it, I'm there for a number of days, I'll pick up, you know, food specifically that I, I can keep and have on the road, although it's actually very, very easy. Now, a lot of the 
airports and other places cater quite a bit to the low carb community. And even in restaurants, it means making choices. I'm completely comfortable. You know, the clients always get to choose the restaurant, you know, and they do it. And, you know, I'm disciplined around that. So I could be having a Caesar salad, no croutons, you know, just a, you know, a meat plate, like charcuterie board, something like that. And so that helps me maintain. And and I don't know if you know, but when you're in a state of ketosis, it actually helps from brain functioning as well, which is why they use it to treat autism and other things. And so that that's the reason I, a lot of people also use it for weight loss. I've never needed to do it for that purpose, but more for all of the benefits that Mm -hmm. I get. And that's just something I've maintained regardless of, you know, how much I'm traveling or where I'm traveling. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's so critical is that you have to make decisions. I think you alluded to earlier, it's still a choice, right? I know for me, when I was traveling, it was more about if I would go for dinner with clients, I wouldn't pick up the menu because there's so many great things in the menu and they would be a little bit tempting to me to try something. But, you know, I always kind of said, no, predetermined, I'm going to have salmon and asparagus. I'm just going to ask them, you know, do you have this? Can you cook this for me? And restaurants typically do cater. I would also look for hotels that were close to a market, you know, so I could buy fresh food to just kind of pick and choose what I wanted to eat. But, you know, working out, not always easy when you're on the road. I think some hotel chains work better than others. Do you pick hotels based on amenities like that? Or is it just more location based for you? Oh, 100%. So, you know, I, I do. So it is actually very important to me. That's a prerequisite. It's very close to wherever my, I'm, you know, meeting clients or, you know, my office or whatever, Mm -hmm. ideally walking distance or a very short Uber ride. uh, And that it has an excellent gym. Those are my prerequisites. Yeah. But now you live in a place currently that I think you said you go downstairs to the gym. How are you managing during the time of COVID? You know, physical activity, if you've got access to a gym is great, but anything that you would suggest for mental or emotional well-being during this time? So again, it's about choice. I'm going to, I'm fortunate that in New York, we have, our gyms have remained open since they reopened in September, uh, you know, with limited capacities and we need to book it in in advance. I'm fortunate with that. But the, the day that I woke up, so I do live in an apartment building now, big shocker from having moved from Toronto in a house, uh, but you know, (laughs) live in an apartment building chosen in part because of the amazing amenities. So it, it is several floors below. But when I woke up on a Monday morning to see that the gym was closed in the heart of the pandemic, first thing I did is immediately went on Amazon and bought myself adjustable dumbbells. Mm. I already had resistance bands. I bought myself a, a folding sort of weight bench. The room that I sit in now is was renamed the multi-purpose room because it was okay. the get, guest room, my office, the wardrobe, but it also became the home gym. So I have this, you know, hashtag that I sign a lot of my social media posts, no excuses. Right. So it wasn't my ideal workout. I really prefer Mm. to work out in a gym. I don't talk to people. I got my headphones on, but I'm with people observing. I'm competitive. They don't know I'm competing with them. I push myself. So doing it in this apartment, in this room was not ideal, but it was how I chose to continue and, and, you know, maintain the health regime that I have and that discipline. And I do think that there is a strong connection between the physical side of who we are and what we do in relation to the mental and emotional side of who we kind of present when we're meeting with our teams, right? So let's talk about that for a second. You know, a a leader is role model. When you think of, you know, a a good role model as as a leader, what kind of things come up for you when you define that? A number of things. Uh, And so first of all, and maybe it's a little bit too abused nowadays when people talk about being 
authentic. Mm. Uh, but, but for me, that means, you know, I show up my whole self, my whole person every day. And I try and have conversations with my teams. I recognize they have lives outside of the, you know, our workplace. And so, you know, that means understanding what drives and motivates people, their personal stories and history. So, you know, authenticity and the ability to have kind of those real conversations, trust and transparency. Yeah. is a really, really big one for me. So, you know, I've been through 18 mergers, acquisitions, or some kind of related transaction. And to the extent that I could, as I had to go through the reorganization that inevitably came out of those, mm-hmm. a big part of those conversations I had with colleagues as we were either eliminating, restructuring, doing whatever we need, I, we had to do with their roles was about providing context right? And being transparent with them around why decisions had been made, uh, listening to them. You know, at the end of the day, people do business with people that not only do they like, but they trust and therefore they want to do business with. That's the type of leader I want to work for. So that that's who, who I show up and am every day. Yeah. And I, I, I think as you say that I do recall leaders that I've worked for in the past that have exhibited that behavior and they really become role models that, that I, I want to work for and that I want to emulate as well. Um, but what you're thinking about during this time of pandemic, you know, is it, is it harder to be authentic or real or does it take just a lot more effort? I think it's mixed. Honestly, I think the, I think it takes a heck of a lot more effort to demonstrate mm-hmm. that through these little square screens that we have to stare at. Uh, number one. So the energy, like I find personally, initially at the beginning of COVID, actually at IBM, we had a work from home pledge. And one of those items was on that there was a 10, 10 points was to recognize people are not camera ready. Well, you know what, in the sustained environment, I actually think more important than ever to be on camera. But at the end of the day, it's exhausting. Yeah. However, on the other hand, the ability to show up and be your whole authentic self is easier. You're staring into my home right now. True. Right. So yeah. the ability to, to show up and um, but then the other thing I miss is the nuance of seeing someone's body language. Again, only being able to see, you know, mm. the, the face and to, to get a better read on how someone's feeling and lean into that and um, encouraging them to share. That's a that's a lot harder as we do yeah. this, you know, through through virtual conference calls. You know, one of the things that you talked about kind of at the beginning was, you know, your passion for inclusion and diversity and the things that you're working with now. And as I've kind of watched your career evolve and develop over the past decade, uh, I see that you're really, really attaching yourself to those topics. And I think that that's kind of a, a purposeful way of working or leading for you. What kind of advice would you give for to people that maybe are struggling with trying to find a way to attach purpose to what they do every day? It's interesting. I spent a lot of time. I've actually developed at IBM our, we call it our eminence program. For me, I it's much bigger than eminence. It's, it is your brand and who you are. And my message is the subject matter expertise is the eminence for which you're known for. So if, at IBM, it could be, you know, I'm an excellent software developer. You know, for me, I lead the people-based business, but getting attached to purpose or passion is, again, the, being your authentic whole self. What what do I want to be known for at the end of the day for a company that focuses on quarter to quarter results, sales matter, but my tombstone's not going to talk about the sales results that I delivered over the years. It's about the impact and the legacy I, I want to leave. 
And so for me, it was choosing to talk and be, be really attached to the things that I fundamentally believe strongly in. Mm-hmm. So yes, diversity, equity, inclusion, having been the only woman at the table for so long in parts of, you know, marginalized, you know, groups within the workplace, uh, you know, building the right kind of culture and environment that I want to work in. Those are things I'm passionate about and happens to bring purpose. So mm-hmm. I would encourage your listeners to identify with the things that are, are, are round out their, their whole brand and what do they want to be known for? Yeah. You know, the, there's this 80-20 rule. I mean, we don't all 100% of the time enjoy, you know, what we have to do. There's administrative tasks and whatever. Right. Uh, sometimes, it, you know what, sometimes there's choices. You you take a job for a period of time and you need it, but then there's your side you know, um, hustle or side project or passion. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we need to be fulfilled period. And so if we're not leading and engaged in the things that bring us joy or purpose, yeah. um, then why at all? Yeah. I, I do know working with some execs that, um, when they, when they can actually flip this, you know, a lot of times, uh, high performing leaders, they get their identity from what they do during the day, you know, what that, whatever they're business card says their title is, you know, that's who they are. But uh, as soon as they can change that, and as soon as they can flip it to where they work their purpose at their occupation and not let their occupation become their purpose, it's like they reinvent themselves. It's like they, they catapult themselves into another realm of performance and happiness on their job. And, um, you know, I'm curious to know for you, you know, when you landed on your purpose over the past few years, what, what did you notice about how it either helped you or aided you in your positions and in your roles? It solidified the brand that is Victoria Peltier, right? I am, I did define myself, I'll tell you early in my career, I defined myself by what I did, what the title said, as you said, what was on the, on the business card. I, that was me at one mm. point. And when in one of those restructuring moments, I lost my, actually I architected myself out of a job and it took a while to find one. I was devastated because that's how I identified, not with all the other things that made me who I, who I am. And so it was architecting the, the broader brand and story uh, that gave me joy quite frankly, to the point that, I mean, even when I joined IBM, I actually came into, I've got a deep background in financial services. I came in leading our largest, one of our largest financial services portfolios, but the messages that now align directly with what I espouse and I do when I coach clients with are now completely intertwined, mm-hmm. right? So I, it brought me to a place where the things that I was passionate about and speaking about just now are directly what I do for a day job. So they're completely aligned. And that's what people will often say. They're like, Victoria, oh my God, you're so high energy. How do you do all of this? Well, besides eating healthy and working <laughs> out, the fact is I have joy getting up every day and doing what I do, even if those are incredibly long 16, 18 hour days. If you were sitting right now having coffee with somebody that's a high potential emerging leader, kind of like yourself in the past, and you were going to give them some advice about, you know, how, how do you take somebody who's young and working hard and driving in a career? What, what kind of things would you say to them? I would tell them to make time for it. I think a lot of the younger generation, because they're so focused on just learning skills and building their career, that they forget that this is actually part of your 
your job, right? Mm-hmm. So I have this saying that where there's conviction, there's capacity. Don't tell me that there's not time to work on, develop, to cultivate, and be very consistent and relevant in doing work that is aligned to your purpose and passion. I do think that uh, we are actually grooming a, I hope, a better quality of leaders, you know, that are coming up in into the the new world, you know, whether it's the tech space uh, and any kind of uh, industry that they're working. And I do hope that they take time to recognize who they are and identify with who they are before they say, I'm just who I work for or I, or just what I do. Okay. You know what? This has been great. I really, really appreciate, you know, you sharing the information about your past and some of your thoughts on this, but you know, one thing that I'd like to do with you before we get off is to kind of just do a bit of a lightning round with you and ask you a few questions. And these are just kind of fun, casual questions that are designed to help our listeners get to know you just a little bit more, maybe personally. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Are you cool with that? (laughs) I'm ready. Okay. All right. So uh, let me ask you this. What's your favorite book? Simon Sinek, start with why. Start with why? Why? Because everyone has a why, right? Mm. Under, I talked about contextualizing things. And so understanding people's why. I'm not just talking about the corporate why yeah. at an individual type. To, so you need to understand my past, my lived experiences. That's mm. what informs who I am and why I drive forward as hard as I do. So that's actually going back to leadership. For me, that's part of my goal as a leader to understand my team's why, because if I'm going to help them be successful, I need to understand that to move them forward. Great answer. All right. Kryptonite food, chocolate and peanut butter. Oh, really? Like combined? (laughs) Well, yeah. So like the, as I'm keto, so you will rarely find me doing this now, but the Reese's peanut butter cups, my husband, however, makes a keto version of that for me. Oh, so that's the size of like a two bite brownie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It is so amazing. I love it. Yeah. Unfortunately, my kryptonite food for me is pizza. There's nothing keto about that, but (laughs) you know, you put that down in front of me and it's hard to say, no, I have to say that. Um, what's your favorite place to travel? Uh, Paris. Now, what is it about Paris that really draws you? It's, um, I, well, I love Europe period. I just love Mm. the feeling and the flair, um, of the culture there, but in Paris, it's also about people watching. So there's this amazing culture you can go and experience. I'm not, you know, yes, I've been to the Louvre multiple times, but I like zip around it. I'm like, got it. See it. Mona Lisa, blah, blah, blah. For me, it's then go and sit on a patio somewhere with a nice glass of wine and watch all the culture and people go by. And sometimes I'll craft stories in my head as I see people, you know, over what I think their story, their why is. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So let's pretend you're in Paris getting ready to have dinner. Who in the world, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? Sure. A lot of people say this these days, but um, the Obamas, what each of them stand for both in their own individual rights Uh, but also the, you know, the mix of being able to have an incredible, intelligent conversation with people whose values align with mine, but are also incredibly humble. And I've listened to each audio book. So I sat at the gym sometimes. So I've listened to each of Mm -hmm. their audio books. And I just think the ability to meet them face to face and have a live you know, conversation that's, you know, one-on-one or two-on-one in this case would be amazing. 
Yeah, there's a certain genuineness that both of them just kind of exemplify. But I do think that they do come across as pretty authentic people for the positions they have. You know what? This has been great. I、uh, really love catching up with you and have enjoyed you participating with the podcast. So, Victoria, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Steve. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Pemso Effect. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with friends. Stay connected by subscribing to receive notifications about future episodes. For more about Steve, go to steveshrout.com. Until next time, develop your Pemso and discover your best self. Thank、you